Welcome to FPC Meridian Sermon Podcast. In this sermon, our head pastor, Dr. Rhett Payne, studies the book of Romans. We pray that God's hand would be upon you as you listen to the faithful preaching of his word. Let's begin. Please take your Bibles as we look at Romans chapter 5 in the series on the book of Romans. This is part 10 in the series. Today's installment is entitled, Who We Were. Romans 5, we've been in Romans 5 a couple of weeks and now we're still in Romans 5 as we plow through the latter part of the chapter. We'll start reading in verse 6. My sources include R.C. Sproul's The Righteous Shall Live by Faith, his commentary on Romans, Kent Hughes' Romans from Preaching the Word, John R.W. Stott, The Message of Romans from The Bible Speaks Today, Stuart Aliot, The Gospel As It Really Is, from the Wellwind series, and then a message by Stuart Briscoe, Why Christ Had to Die. Please stand with me for the reading of God's Word as we look at Romans chapter 5, starting at verse 6. This is the Word of God. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely would anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies... We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man... How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more Will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this, your word. 
Please help us as we try to understand it. Give us understanding, Lord, and application into our own lives. And Father, thank you for the presence of your spirit here in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. A little girl, seven years old, a deep thinker when it comes to theological questions, had just studied the story of Adam and Eve in Sunday school. How sin came into the world. Later that week, Jessica was ill and had to stay home from school. Feeling miserable, she said to her dad, If only Adam and Eve hadn't eaten that fruit, I wouldn't be sick. And before her dad could offer a word of comfort, she added, Of course, if they didn't eat, we'd still be sitting here naked. This passage is one of the most significant passages of Holy Scripture in pointing out the lostness of mankind, the depth of depravity inherent in our sinful nature, and God's incredible act of mercy and grace, which led to our deliverance. So there's so much here. We're going to jump right into the three lessons of this morning. And the first being this, the ruin, the ruin of mankind. You know, there's a lot of debate on this passage in Romans 5. I mean, it's not an easy passage to understand. So many from the left side, theologically, so many debate on this. So many from the left side do not believe in original sin, at least not the way we believe. Listen again to Romans 5, verse 6. At just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. You know, honestly, just about every church verbalizes some belief in the doctrine of original sin. I mean, some belief. And its impact on our spiritual strength in our lives. So first, let's talk about the misunderstanding. Without raising your hands, how many of you believe that the term original sin means the first sin of Adam and Eve? Now, don't raise your hand. I don't want you caught getting the wrong answer. Actually, the term original sin refers to the consequences of that first sin by which God visited the entire human race with corruption tied to sin. The debate comes as to the degree of that corruption. So to what degree or to what extent have we fallen from our original righteousness? That's the question. Pelagius was a native of Ireland. He appeared in Rome shortly before the year 400 as a very strict preacher of repentance. Pelagius taught that human beings were born innocent, without the stain of original or inherited sin. Inherited being your blank in the outline, if you're following. Pelagius believed that every human soul was originally free from sin. His view became known as Pelagianism. And there's Pelagians out there today. There's semi-Pelagians out there today. So Pelagius rejected the doctrine of original sin. He also said sin consists only of what a person does and therefore cannot be transmitted by heredity. Small children, he added, are therefore free of evil as a result Baptism does not need to imply deliverance from sin. Yet, 
Psalm 51 verse 5 says, surely, surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Romans 5 verse 12 in our text says also something different than Pelagius taught. Verse 12 says, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death came to all people because all sinned. And it goes on to say that death reigned from the time of Adam. This passage clearly states that Adam's sin is the reason sin infects the rest of humanity. Anyone who has raised children can attest to the fact that children must be taught to obey. They do not need to be taught to disobey. Have you ever noticed that? They have to be taught to obey. Further, the Bible teaches that all human beings die as a result of sin. Romans 6 that we will look at next time. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, in his preaching, Pelagius appealed to man's free will. He assumed that men and women have the ability to choose between good and evil. He felt it was unfair to expect someone to do what appeared to be impossible. So for Pelagius, here was his definition for sin. Sin consists only in isolated acts of the will. If a man wills what is evil, he sins. But there is nothing to prevent him from choosing the good and so avoid sin. Now I want you to think about that definition for a moment and tell me how much hope does that give to you? In your predicament, whatever predicament that is, to overcome sinful habits, temptations. I I read it again. He says there is nothing to prevent him from choosing the good and so avoid sin. I disagree. Enter Augustine, who was a contemporary Pelagius. We've talked about Augustine. He also lived in the fifth century. Augustine taught the exact opposite of Pelagius, that sin was more than isolated acts of the will, but that mankind, by his or her very nature or character, was a sinner. And as I've said for many years, you're not a sinner because you sin, you sin because you're a sinner. Okay, hear it again. You're not a sinner because you sin, you sin because You are a sinner. It's your nature. We're sinners because we have a natural inclination towards sin. And if we drop back in Romans chapter to chapter three, Romans three, verse 10 and following. There's this wonderful, but not wonderful, this wonderful commentary on us that helps us to understand ourselves where it says in verse 10. There is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. And it continues on that path. Original sin implies a perpetual condition of guilt. Guilt. It is this guilt which is the essence of sin or that which makes sin, sin. That's why Augustine insisted that sin was not simply a series of isolated, willful acts, but a real corruption of our nature. A corruption of our nature in that our will has been distorted, actually prevented, if you will, 
and perverted to do the right thing. We can't do the right thing. We're perverted in our thinking and our understanding. We're corrupted in our nature. We're prevented in our nature. All we can do is sin. This was the main point at issue between Augustine and Pelagius. And thankfully, Augustine won out. And Pelagius was condemned as a heretic. So the first lesson today is the ruin of mankind. The second is the rescue of mankind. You know, look back in the text again in in chapter five and listen to the different ways in which we are compared and described in our text of Scripture. We're called powerless. We're called ungodly. We're called sinners. We're called enemies. We're called condemned. We're called disobedient. We're called dead. Those are the commentaries on who we were before Jesus Christ. And one of the saddest commentaries on our corruption and sin is the fact that there is a certain powerlessness about us. Which is why we need Jesus Christ. You know, there's a a hymn that so many of us love. It's hymn number 104. Written by a man who was truly a sinner. John Newton. And he was a slave trader. He was just an awful person by his own description. And yet the Lord Jesus saved even him. And he was led to write these words. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. You know, there were people that were offended by that and they changed the term wretch so it wouldn't be so offensive. <laughs> I think if you know your own heart, you know you're a wretch until Jesus Christ comes in. And even after Jesus Christ comes in, you battle that wretch for the rest of your life. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. And then he goes on to say, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious. I mean, this is a rough character writing these words. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Romans 5 says this, "'For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man,' How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? We have hope in Jesus Christ and what he did on that cross because he was totally righteous. He was tempted in all ways, yet like we are tempted, and yet he never sinned. God's grace was so prevalent God's grace was something that that John Newton experienced. And God in his grace reached him and saved him. You know, a few minutes ago, I said some names that are probably lost on you. Pelagius and Augustine. But the hope I'm hoping the point I'm hoping that to make with you is that and I pray it won't be lost on you. These two names that I'm throwing out is that because of sin's impact in all of our lives, we're left with no moral capacity to do anything about the powerlessness and about the hopelessness 
that, a, that is a part of our lives because of the fact we were born in Adam. We were born in sin. Which means we, we have no spiritual strength whatsoever in ourselves. Nothing in ourselves to affect our salvation. Nothing that might help us to incline ourselves to pursue the things of God. And so listen to verse 15. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? I don't know about you. When I think about my salvation, I think about the fact that I've been rescued. I've been rescued by the Lord Jesus. I had no hope or no purpose in my life, no peace in my life. And Christ gave me that peace. And I'm thankful for him pursuing me. It was never anything in me pursuing him. It was all him, just as the choir sang. You know, he is the shepherd who walks after lost sheep. And he will walk after those sheep until he finds them. And aren't you grateful today? Aren't you grateful as we study Romans chapter 5? God demonstrated his own love for you in this while you were a sinner. A sinner without hope for your salvation except in his mercy. Christ died for us. Think about that, church. Rejoice at the beauty of the gospel and what it means to each of us. We are ruined in Adam, but in Christ we are rescued. And then the third and final lesson is the reign of mankind. The reign of mankind. Once again, verse 17. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Bottom line is the sin of Adam brought death to us all, but grace brought a far more dynamic power, and that far more dynamic power is life. Life. So that Adam's one transgression, which brought death, Jesus' death brought forgiveness for thousands of transgressions. Which is superior? Clearly the work of Jesus. Clearly the work of the work of Jesus. Grace is always going to be greater than our sin. Mel Trotter was one of seven children born in a small town called Orangeville, Illinois. He was born to a, a bartender who drank, quote, as much as he served. In 1887, the family moved to Freeport, Illinois, where Trotter became a barber and quickly spent all of his spare time gambling and drinking heavily. Trotter married a woman who was horrified to discover that she was married to an alcoholic. Trotter later said, I loathed the life I was living. I tried my level best, but it wasn't in me. He lost his job. He and his wife moved to a more rural area to try to help him stay sober. He lost another job, moved to Iowa, where Mel tried selling insurance, a job that Mel lost the day after his son was born. Trotter began leaving home for weeks at a time, and when he returned after one period away, he discovered his two-year-old dead. Believing he bore the responsibility for the child's death, he contemplated suicide. He stood by the coffin and he swore that he would never touch liquor again. Two hours later, he was staggering drunk, 
hopping a train. He landed in Chicago in January of 1897, where he sold his child's shoes to buy another drink. He finally stumbled into the Pacific Garden Mission and was introduced to a relationship and the grace that is found only in Jesus Christ. So powerful was the effect of God's amazing grace in his life that eight years later, he was ordained as a minister in the Presbyterian Church. He became an outstanding evangelist for the gospel, and he founded more than 67 rescue missions from coast to coast. Look at verse 20 of the text. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Now, I don't know if you can relate to how ruined that you are or were through sin, but it's where we really have to begin in talking about the gospel. Before we can reign, we have to be brought low. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Why did he say that? Because until you recognize your pitiful state, until you recognize your lost state, that you are ruined because of sin, you will never see the kingdom of heaven. The first Adam is our federal head that I talked about earlier, who represented all of us. And whether we like it or not, we are all Adam's children. But I'm a lot more excited about the second Adam, the second Adam, Jesus Christ, who, like Adam, he had his own probationary test in the wilderness when tempted by the devil. The first Adam, as we know, failed his probation, while the second Adam passed his test with flying colors. How? Through love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Receive the love of God in Jesus Christ that your focus might not be on who you were. But rather on who you are and can be in Jesus Christ. Which brings us to our verse of the week which is Romans 5 verse 8 that we read already. Let's read it out loud again together. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, how grateful we are for your death on the cross, but also for your perfect life. Thank you for the gift of righteousness that you give to those who trust in you. That by faith in Jesus Christ, we receive the righteousness of Christ, an alien righteousness that is none from us, not from ourselves, but is the gift of God. Thank you, Lord, that we can stand now before the Father. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're grateful. We rejoice in the hope of this grace in which we now stand. We can stand before you, Father. Through your son, Jesus Christ, and all that he's accomplished for us. So thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise be to your name. And for any in this place today who know they're ruined by sin, but have never been rescued by the gospel, I pray, Lord, that you would touch their hearts and call them to yourself, that they might embrace you as Savior and Lord and receive that rescue that they do so desperately need. And thank you, Lord, that we reign with you because of grace. We praise you, Lord, for the blood that was shed so that we might live. And on this Lord's day, we give you praise and thanksgiving for our great and wonderful salvation, even through our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ the Lord, in whose name I pray. Amen.